What's up, friends? It's your host, T-Rav, back for some more episodes. In this one, I'm going to focus solely on a new segment dedicated to examples of where we really aren't addressing the root cause of certain issues facing us today. start by saying that over the last few years, really since graduating from undergrad, that I've been trying to pay attention to the issues that the world is facing currently, which is no small task. When reading certain articles, I found myself thinking, is this really going to solve the issue, or just put a band-aid on it? After a while, I realized that there are so many examples that I thought it would be good to dedicate an entire podcast segment to it. I'm calling this segment are we solving the right problem? So I must warn everyone that I'm about to throw out a lot of TLAs, otherwise known as three-letter acronyms, and some engineer jargon. So I hope everyone is properly caffeinated so I don't put you all to sleep. You've been warned. As an engineer, I frequently run into situations where something unplanned happens, which we would call an unplanned event, or a UPE. We then have to fix the issue and figure out why the unplanned event happened. We call this a root cause investigation, or an RCI. By the time the RCI is completed, you should have figured out what caused the problem and then put actions in place to correct the issue and also prevent the problem from happening again. At least that's the goal. Sometimes this doesn't always work out that way, but most of the time it does. So to give you a little bit of an example from a manufacturing setting, Let's say that you have a piece of equipment that's failed because you were running it incorrectly. If you replace that piece of equipment, but don't change how you operated your process in the first place, are you really fixing the right issue? People that know me know how passionate I am about the environment, of course. Hell, even people that have never met me but listened to a couple of previous episodes of the podcast would realize that. But I must say that I recently watched a TED Talk, which made me rethink what are the best options for helping to reduce the impacts of climate change. And before I dive into the details, I want to point out how important it is to sometimes take a step back and be introspective about how the things you believe might not always be correct. I'm sure there are people out there who are really going to love me admitting that I was wrong about something, but it doesn't matter, so here it goes. Based on numerous TED Talks that I had watched and a couple classes that I took in undergrad, I had it in my mind that the key to saving our planet from the imminent climate disaster, caused by climate change of course, was to quickly adopt renewable energy as our primary means for producing electricity here in the United States. Sure, sure, the sun isn't always shining and the wind isn't always blowing, but humanity could solve this through the use of batteries for storing renewable energy, right? No harm, no foul. I'll admit that I had been watching a lot of HGTV recently and found myself mentally planning out my future home and how I was going to a thousand percent going to have solar panels on my roof because F you, that's why. You can't stop me. Well, I didn't realize that another TED Talk sure could stop me. 
Well, really, I just had my gaze focused too far in, and I needed to take my horse blinders off for a second. Again, I know it's tough to challenge your beliefs and look at something from the opposing view, but honestly, I think it's important to ask yourself, what if I'm wrong about this? Okay, so like I was saying, the TED Talk I listened to that got me to reevaluate my views on sustainability was called Why Renewables Can't Save the Planet by Michael Schellenberger. At least I think that's how you pronounce it. I'll make sure to put the link for the video in the episode description. I don't want to spend too much time going through everything that was said in this TED Talk, but I thought it was important to highlight a couple of key things, really a few key things. The first thing that's mentioned is that the biggest killer of large bird species, and I'm not sure if it was in the world or just here in the United States or a particular region of the United States, but the biggest killer, he mentions, is actually wind turbines, which I had a really hard time wrapping my brain around. Because in my mind, I had thought that the biggest killer of birds or really any species here in America was habitat loss due to deforestation. Another thing that he mentions is that building a solar farm is just like building any other kind of farm. You have to clear the whole area of wildlife and other plants. And the example that he uses is a solar farm out in California called Ivanpah, which was constructed, well, finished being constructed and actually came online in 2013 time frame. So in order to build this facility, it required physically removing the desert tortoises that were already inhabiting the area and moving them into captivity. And due to the fragile nature of the species, most of them actually died in captivity. On a somewhat related note, it is estimated that about 6,000 birds are killed annually by catching on fire above solar farms, and then they fall to their deaths. This is due to the sheer amount of heat that is being generated over top of these solar installations because of how the sunlight is reflected, and the concentration of sunlight superheats the air, and these birds unknowingly fly into the area and then are killed. And how sad is that? I don't really want to dwell too much on that last fact because it's really depressing as hell. Later in the talk, he compares France and Germany really in depth and gets really into the details, which I thought was really interesting. And it starts with both of them and how they made the decision to add more renewable energy to their grid systems, but they took two way different approaches. So for France, they tried to replace most of the fossil fuels that they used to generate their energy, and they replaced it with nuclear energy while Germany replaced their fossil fuels that they use for generating energy with wind and solar. France, as it turns out, provides their energy at about half the cost that Germany does to their consumers. And I'm taking this directly from him, a quote, Had Germany spent $580 billion on nuclear instead of renewables, it would be generating 100% of its energy for electricity and transportation from clean zero emission sources, which it is not now. Because of the unpredictability of wind and solar energy without battery storage, Germany had to replace a lot of their coal-fired power plants with natural gas, so they're still burning fossil fuels. Meanwhile, in France, they're getting about 70%, in some cases up to 75% of their energy from nuclear. And the great thing about nuclear power 
is that there's no generation of greenhouse gases. Sure, there's the waste aspect, nuclear waste, I mean, that has to be taken into account. But if you're just looking at greenhouse gas emissions, Germany still emits way more than France because, like I said, they now have to rely on natural gas because of how unpredictable wind and solar energy is. Another comparison he throws in is looking at the Ivanpah solar power facility that I was mentioning earlier. Comparing that to Diablo Canyon Nuclear Plant, which is another power plant in California, it takes about 450 times more land for solar than for nuclear. Meaning, in order to produce the same amount of power, your solar power facility would need to be 450 times bigger than a nuclear power plant. Michael mentions that we all generally think of solar panels as quote-unquote clean when really there's no plan for them at their end of their lifespan, which is about 25 years depending on the quality of the panel. So then they just end up becoming another source of toxic waste that's in your local landfill. I know I myself have definitely fallen into that trap of having my scope or my vision way too narrow in that I'm just looking at, oh my gosh, solar panels generate electricity just from the sun and they don't generate CO2. So that's greener, right? That's more sustainable. I want that. However, in reality, if you expand your vision a little bit and look at, just like he mentions, at the end of the life, where's it going? Are you just throwing them away in a landfill? So is there a better way to try and go about this? And oh, by the way, producing solar panels is super energy intensive. So you are indirectly making more carbon dioxide or other greenhouse gases and sending them into the atmosphere. Because these facilities that make the solar panels, where are they getting their power from? Just to give you all some context, there's a company here in mid-Michigan called Hemlock Semiconductor Corporation, also known as HSC, and they make the polysilicon that goes into solar panels. On an annual basis, HSC consumes more energy than the city of Grand Rapids, which is Michigan's second most populous city, with nearly 200,000 people in it. Kind of crazy when you really think about it. The single quote that really stuck with me from this entire talk was this. In the effort to save the climate, are we destroying the environment? So now I want to shift to this. During my time in undergrad at Ohio State, I took a class that was in the School of Environment and Natural Resources, and it was called Energy and Environment. Suffice it to say, in the class, we learned about all the different types of fuel sources that can create energy. So carbon sources and then also renewable sources. But the main thing I took away from the class was that the most efficient way to help the environment was actually to use less, which is like blatantly obvious in retrospect. And it also kind of ties back into the topic of minimalism that I touched on in season one. An engineering analogy for this concept of just using less is something that we engineers call the hierarchy of controls. Basically, if there is a hazard that someone might come into contact with, the most effective way to deal with that hazard is to try to eliminate it. If you can't do that, then you try other controls, such as substitution, engineering controls, administrative controls, yada yada. Is everybody still awake? Okay, cool. Just checking. So after listening to this TED Talk, I reconfigured my strategy on how my future house might look. Instead of focusing on having all of my energy needs being supplied by solar panels on the roof, I now have shifted to wanting to make the house more energy efficient. What do I mean by that? 
So installing better or more, just in general, insulation and trying to reduce the energy demand by installing fewer or better appliances, which are just a few examples. For something more specific, I recently saw that increasing the thickness of your home's exterior wall frames allows you to have thicker insulation, which then in turn helps reduce your home's energy demand by a lot. This is one of the core concepts of something that's called passive solar home design. All that HGTV watching has also taught me that there is house insulation that's made using recycled old gene material. This point of just using less, I think, can be more broadly applied to beyond just solar energy. Just think about the sheer amount of plastic that is completely inundating our environment. I mean, literally, it's everywhere. Now including the deepest parts of our oceans, which is kind of crazy. But that's a topic for a different day. The most effective way to reduce this is to stop buying things that are packaged in plastic. If that's not possible, then you'd move to trying to substitute to buying things that are packaged in a material like glass, metal, or paper. Or maybe something that's not packaged in anything at all. Ultimately, I think that people around the globe need to focus more on reducing or eliminating energy usage instead of converting to renewable energy, or else I fear that the answer to Michael Schellenberger's question is yes. In the effort to save the climate, we are destroying the environment. And I know I could go on and on about this, but I think right there is where I want to leave it for now. So that's been the first installment of Are We Solving the Right Problem? In the future, I actually want to try and put out more short episodes like these, where I can kind of touch on a topic broadly for about 15 minutes, because I know today time is more important than ever, and people's attention spans are also shorter than ever. So I think it's a win-win if I can open people's minds to topics that they might not normally think about while at the same time doing it in the shortest amount of time as possible. Everyone knows I have a gift for Gab, but sometimes people don't have time to listen for 45 minutes straight, and I totally get that. So, as always, if you have any feedback for the show or topics for future episodes, feel free to send them my way. You can send them either in an email to splicepodcast at gmail.com, or hit me up on Twitter at That's So Jank. And also, just as a reminder, again, I will be posting the YouTube link, to this TED Talk in the episode description. See you in the next episode.